In all the joy and excitement of Vacation Bible School, we forgot to uh, account for the things that are a little bit different in worship this morning. If you are a child who would like to go to Children's Church, now is a great moment. We love you here, by the way. Don't feel like you have to, but we forgot to give you the invitation. We've been waiting for that word. Here it is. And I'll even pray so you can have some cover. Everyone's going to have their eyes back, their eyes closed and their head bowed, right? So nobody's even going to notice you're stepping out. Can we pray together? Follow whether because of my words or in spite of them, may your word be spoken this morning. And whether we come with willing ears or stubborn ones, help us to hear. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Special treat for me this morning to have uh, my parents who are here in worship uh, seated down here. My, my dad uh, just announced this week his retirement from uh, many illustrious years in publishing and outdoor writing. And uh, it was from him that I acquired uh, a lot of my love of words. In fact, I was sharing earlier that uh, one of my first memories of Mobile, because I didn't come here a whole lot growing up, is of being in the lobby of a hotel as we were on some trip or another and uh, getting the Mobile Press Register that morning over breakfast, and Dad picking it up and pointing out to me that one of the articles on the front page had misused the word penultimate. <laughs> he had the good sense to point out also that that's just a terrible word to use in a newspaper. Nobody knows what it really means, and if you're gonna use it, you better be the one who does. You can imagine why. It was a little intense getting my papers graded uh, before they were turned in in 10th grade. But from that, I, loved, uh, I learned a great love of words, and I especially uh, came to appreciate the economy of words. A few words that say something just exactly right, and you particularly see that in the skill of headline making. Of course, we notice that most often when it doesn't go quite right. When the headline on the newspaper or the article we're about to click leaves us more confused than we started. Some headlines are just confusing. Like this one I came across about a year ago in the midst of a medical crisis. Plans underway to get Americans sick with Ebola. I don't know if I should be happy for him or not. Other headlines are less confusing as much as they are just confused, such as this one that came from my own river region uh, homeland. Dan nearly finished, but much left to do. I mean, what, what good does that do me? But sometimes even a bad headline can be useful. It can let me know when I don't need to bother with all the words that are written underneath it. There's a good thumb, rule of thumb that I came across a few years back that says any headline that ends in a question mark can be answered no. You can spare yourself the trouble of reading any further. If the headline has a question, you know the answer will be no. Keep that rule in mind when you are assaulted with the overhyped headlines we see, the links begging for us to click them every single day. Is this new treatment the cure for cancer? No. Is this new trend as great as people say it is? No. Is this new trend as bad as everyone says it is? No. This rule, had I learned it earlier in my life, would have saved me a lot of time reading a lot of articles 
In 2009, it was called Betteridge's Law because there was an online writer named Ian Betteridge who came up with this idea. And he explained it this way. He says, whenever somebody has facts, those are the headline. If we had a cure for cancer, we wouldn't be wasting our time with question marks. We would say so. We would shout it. We would use periods and exclamation points. Now, we as Christians are in theory in the headline business. We've heard today that we are called to go and proclaim good news. And we throw around the word gospel an awful lot. And about as often as we say it, we take the time to explain that the word gospel means good news. The word evangel, as in evangelism, is just the Greek word for saying good news. And many of us have heard the story of becoming fishers of men, and we, we feel like we ought to be out there sharing our faith with others, and yet one of the first obstacles we come to is that it seems Christians can't quite agree on what the headline is. The details we're actually pretty good on. The Apostles' Creed kind of sums it up for us. But when it comes time to, to put it in the fewest words possible, what is the good news? We have trouble finding the right headline to fit it. I've tried and I have heard many different headlines for the gospel in my life as a Christian. One popular headline is, if you believe in Jesus, then you will be saved. And there is good news in that. Salvation is an unqualified good. But that always begs the question, well, what is salvation? In this church, we owe a lot to a preacher named John Wesley who felt that he had to clarify what salvation means as far back as 300 years ago and speaks for us who may discover a world that still is arguing about it today. He said, when I speak of salvation, I don't mean only going to heaven or being delivered from hell. I believe in a present deliverance, a recovery of the divine nature, renewal of our souls in the image of God. When we're preaching good news, are we calling people to be renewed in the image of God? I don't mean to be picky here, but believe and you will be saved, though it is true, is not exactly news. It's more like a command. Real news doesn't come as an if-then statement. If you believe, then you will be saved. I want to know what's true without any ifs, ands, or buts about it. So we try again. And we pare down the headline to a simple declarative statement, something like, God can change our hearts and minds. A better world is possible. And again, this has the virtue of being true. God can and does change things. But, again, this isn't exactly news. Saying that God can change things doesn't tell me that things are going to change. And also, if I'm honest, that's not always the most interesting news to me. I'm not always interested in hearing and how things can change or how I can change. There are a lot of times when I, what I am most interested in is how can it all stay the same? There's a part of me that wants to be left alone, quite frankly. Part of me that wants to be told, hey, you're all right, you do you. So if you tell me that 
God is a God of change, which is always true and always simple. In my prideful moments, it's not very interesting to me. If Christianity has a headline, it needs to be more than a comment about what might happen, what can happen. I need to know what is. And I suppose it should be obvious. But it took me a long time in my life to consider whether the Bible has anything to say to us about what it means when it talks about good news. Which brings me to Mark 1:15, which we heard today. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and trust this good news. That the kingdom of God has come near. Or Matthew 4, 23, which describes how Jesus began his ministry by saying he announced the good news of the kingdom. Turns out that that was the most common definition of the good news in Jesus' preaching, that the kingdom had come near in him. So it should be no surprise that in the rest of the New Testament, whenever folk try to describe the gospel, the word kingdom comes up. As in Acts 8, 12, where it says, Philip preached the good news about the kingdom. Or in the last sentence of Acts, where it says that Paul continued to preach God's kingdom and to teach about the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is the little title that gets used again and again more than any other to describe Jesus. Lord. The Greek word for that is kyrios which is a divine title. In the Greek translations of the Old Testament, Kyrios was how they translated the name of God, Yahweh, the most holy name. To say that Jesus is Lord, that he is Kyrios, was a divine and theological claim. But it was also a political. In Jesus' own day, the Roman emperor adopted as his title the Kyrios, of the world, the Lord of the world. When Jesus preached the gospel, he preached kingdom. And so now at this point in my faith, if you ask me what is our headline, what is the announcement at the core of who we are, I will say to you as I hinted at my last sermon, the gospel is this, that Jesus is king. It's a gospel that will always be simple and interesting and have the virtue of being true. It is true and simple without any ifs, ands, or buts. Whether I believe it or not, Jesus is king. And as I preached to you a couple weeks ago, this news is endlessly interesting because if Jesus is king, then all the other would-be rulers of the world are on notice. Those who claim to be responsible for justice and wisdom and prosperity are, in fact, accountable to Jesus. And the church is here to be Christ's body, a persistent witness to all the powers of this world that they are beholden to the true king, whether they know it or not. And it is interesting because there's no limit on my own prideful attempts to make myself the king of my own thoughts and my actions and my little kingdoms. In the last hundred years of the church, some folks have said that Christianity is a social gospel. And others have said that it is a message of personal salvation. But if Christ is king, then our news is personal and social because Jesus rules it all. So our headline is simple. 
and it is endlessly interesting. Well, one of the questions that persists particularly strongly in our own particular day is how can it be true? It's all well and good. It is simple and interesting to say that Jesus is king, present tense, but how can he be king if every day brings us headlines that break God's heart? How can Christ be ruler when every day makes plain how unruly my own mind is? The question that we have today is not that different from the one that was on the minds of those people who first heard Jesus giving his stump speeches in Galilee, who watched him walk into town and heard him say, here is the kingdom of God right here. They must have turned their heads to the left and then the right and then up and looked around behind Jesus and finally said, I don't see that kingdom you're talking about. Then again, maybe that is how kingdoms always show up. I preached my first sermon here right after July 4th, which is one of those days that just feels like it affects everything around it. But today I'm reminded that on July 21st of 1776, and July 22nd and 23rd, a long time after Independence Day, for months and even years afterwards, there were still some folks insisting that some guy named King George was the ruler of Boston and Philadelphia and Charleston. And at the same time, there were these folks who were saying something different, that something called the Second Continental Congress was really in charge. And I want you to imagine how differently you would live depending on which news you proclaimed. Imagine that you're in the backwoods of South Carolina where the king's supporters remain the strongest and the most common. Imagine that you are sending your money to something called Congress and you're voting for a democratic government. And meanwhile, your neighbors keep supporting the British forces. And meanwhile, those forces have taken Charleston and Camden and your neighbors keep saying, that government you're voting for, it's not even real. Democracy doesn't even work. We know who the real king is. But you know better. So you act different. You keep voting. You keep participating. You keep sharing. You keep telling others about what is and what will be. You know that someone new is in charge. And you refuse to live as you did before you heard about it. Hear the good news. Jesus is king. His enemies persist, but Jesus is king. The evil powers of this world will make their claims, but Jesus is king. And sometimes your minds and your habits are going to stumble because they will forget they are no longer chained or bound to their old ruler. But Jesus is king, even when you don't remember it. And he will have the last one. He will rule until that day when he puts all his enemies under his feet, and death will be the last enemy brought 
to an end. So yes, Jesus can change the world. And yes, he has opened heaven to us. And yes, on the day that is coming, God's transformation will have the last word and the kingdom of God will be eternally complete. That is good news. But the best news out of all that we can say and out of all that we can do, out of all that we sometimes believe with all our heart and all that we sometimes stammer in the middle of our doubts. The best news, the headline on the good news is as simple as three little words spoken in the present tense. And by this point, I hope you know that. And I wonder who else needs to. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.